With today's distractions and busy schedules, it's easy to lose sight of what's really important to us. From cooking with your kids to sipping a refreshing drink at home with them after a long day, Dairy Milk helps us savor the real moments that matter with the ones we love, while also giving our kids nutrients they need to grow strong and help them recharge. When I was young, my mom made sure that I had real milk every day. Now, as a mom, I feel it is more important than ever to make sure that my children get one glass of milk at every meal to make sure they maximize their growth. And they never refuse milk because they love the taste. Learn more at MilkLife.com. That's MilkLife.com. For 30 plus years, I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number eight. 80. I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker, and today we have a great show for you. We're going to be talking about overcoming obstacles like physical disabilities. My guest is Dr. Ty Sexton. He's a pediatrician and hyperbaric medicine specialist, and he was born with cerebral palsy. Shortly after he was born, his parents were told he would never walk, talk, or C. As a young boy, he first realized he was different from other kids when he was in preschool. And the way his mother told him why he was different and about his CP is remarkable. And you'll hear that in the interview. While growing up, Ty felt labeled and he was bullied in school. He was repeatedly told that he would never succeed in life. Eventually, he defied all odds and went to medical school. He's become an international motivational speaker. He's the vice president of the American College of Hyperbaric Medicine, and he wrote the book, God Bless These Little Legs. His passion is to motivate people around the world who have a disability or a child with disability, that they can overcome extraordinary circumstances. As always, I'll share my points to ponder so you can start using them right away. And remember, parents, don't just download the episodes. Click the subscribe button. When you do that, you are joining my parenting revolution and every new episode will automatically show up in your subscribe list. I promise you won't regret it. And we'd love for you to write us a review on iTunes and let us know what you think of the podcast. We're here to help you. Not only are we on iTunes, but the Parenting Great Kids podcast is available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcasts, subscribe today so you won't miss a single episode. So thanks for listening. This is episode number 80. Stay with us. Parents, I want you now to listen in on a conversation that I had with Dr. Ty Sexton. I know you're really going to enjoy it. Well, Dr. Tyler Sexton, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I've really been looking forward to this. Well, thank you, Dr. Meeker. It's a pleasure to talk to you and your audience. It's a privilege. You bet. You know, as a fellow pediatrician, I feel a kindred spirit with you. And um, I know that for you, life was challenging growing up. You had cerebral palsy. Um, Can you just let my audience know kind of what life was like for you growing up and for your parents? 
Oh, absolutely. And you're right. You know, being a pediatrician, my circumstances is what guided me to what I think is the greatest career in the world, like you do, uh, being a pediatrician. And I was an X-28 weaker and both my lungs collapsed and they told my mm. parents uh, that there wasn't much hope for my survival. They said that they'd keep my body warm so they could hold me for the first oh. and last time before they buried me. <laughs> they, they said that if I did survive, that I'd be blind, mentally, physically disabled, and, and never walk. And so, you know, by the time I got older, of course, you know, I wasn't meeting milestones. I wasn't able to sit up. And at 18 months, my parents took me to the doctor, to my pediatrician, got an MRI. And of course, I was diagnosed with spastic diplegia, cerebral palsy. And that really... It changed our life at first for my parents. You know, they, um, we learned a lot. Uh, I've learned that I'd rather walk with an limp in Christ than with a strut in the world and how mm. uh, we, we always uh, think about how our tragedies, um, how God can take our tragedy and turn them into a triumph. And for us, cerebral palsy was um, at first the, the, the most crippling disease you could imagine. Um, and there wasn't much hope. My parents mourned the loss of what they talk would be a typical child. Um, but here I am today. And as a child, I was brutally made fun of. You know, I couldn't keep up like the other kids. I remember uh, even in fourth grade, I got made fun of from teachers, from children, from all walks mm. of life. And I was, mm. I'll never forget one time just to know that I was meant for a purpose. I was in fourth grade and I had a substitute PE teacher. And um, I was going outside with all my friends and, and, and the school and we were doing jumping jacks. And of course, my clumsy attempts of, of palsy jumping jacks, they didn't look as good as the other kids. And the uh, substitute PE teacher, he shouted out in front of everybody. He said, hey, kid, you're in fourth grade. Is that the best you can do? Quit clowning around. And of course, that was the best that I could do. And so that day I went home and I told my mother that I didn't want to be me anymore. So she took me to my room. And she started, oh. yeah, and she started throwing everything out of my room. She threw my toy. She threw my picture. She threw my bed uh, sheets. She threw my Nintendo. Who doesn't love a Nintendo, right? So she threw everything. And she asked, she said, what can't I take away from you? I said, I don't know. You've yeah. taken everything. I started to cry angrily, bitterly. The, my little sweet potato, my, my mom, the one I love the most, took it all from me. And she said, what can't I take away from you? I said, I don't know. She said, I can't take away who God made you and the spirit he gave you that you're alive and you're you and you're a blessing. And so that really showed me that I was, I was special, that I was made for a purpose. And that, that downline promise really has transcended our entire life and is what made me what I am today, trying to let people know that 10% of life is what happens to you and 90% is how you react to it. Uh, and, and here I am today. And that journey to become a doctor hasn't been an easy one, but it has been an incredibly blessed and fulfilled one. You know, often parents think, and we hear a lot about bullying these days, and we fear that bullying is absolutely going to take our kids down, set them up for depression and suicide down the road. Um, what are your thoughts about bullying and how in the world did you endure that? I mean, it sounds like you had great parents and your mother really affirmed to you that Physically, it really didn't matter what was going on. It was your spirit. It was who you are as a young man that God created you to be. But you know, how did the bullying knock you down? Was there a time when it knocked you down so much you thought you just couldn't recover? There was, uh, Dr. Meg, for sure. And it is a hard thing. 
you know, I deal a lot in my practices and in my own personal experiences getting to talk to these parents about bullying. And you're right. Uh, bullying is a crippling thing. And the world that we live in, you know, for me, years ago, we didn't have Facebook. We didn't have the epidemic of cyberbullying. You know, when we got bullied in school, although it's still wrong, we, we got bullied in school, we went home and the bullying stopped. I got to be with my yes. parents and I was special and I was rejuvenated. Now, as you know, these kids are bombarded by social media, by the opinions of everybody, so they can't get free of it. And that's a big crippling issue that we have now talking about the 21st age versus, you know, when, when I grew up and then, of course, when you grew up. Um, you know, that, and that's an issue. But for me, yes, there was times when bullying crippled me. But like you said, my parents taught me that a spirit was more important than a broken body. And I was able to realize that I couldn't let what has been done to me overshadow what's been done for me. And I remember, for example, I'll tell you a story. You know, my bullying actually got worse. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've learned that my faith um, has has really galvanized. I've, I, I know too much and I've seen too much to ever deny the power of my faith and what God's done for me. But I also learned that the older I got, the worse it got, which is ironic. Going off to college, I thought, you know, everybody's crazy in college. You can sit half naked eating Cheetos in the corner, seeking enlightenment, do whatever you want to do, and it's okay, you know? I thought, I just walk a little funny. I thought it'd be okay. Going off to college was the worst time of my life. And, um, I wanted to be a doctor, and I'll never forget, I I talked to my first um, advisor, and they said, I said to them, I said, I want to be a doctor. And they said, well, you should probably forget that dream because that's not going to work. And I said, well, I need to pick a different advisor. So I picked another one. I said, I'd like to be a doctor. She said, well, we can do that, but let's pick up a backup just in case. So I said, I need another advisor. So I went to the third one. I said, I know I'm a young, dumb, 18-year-old kid. I know what I'm going to tell you is crazy, but I want to be a doctor. She mapped that out for me. Little did I know what that was going to take and how that was. And, and so what's ironic and what, just to tell the audience of what you don't know, is I also use a service dog to help me walk and keep me from mm. falling. And so in, in college, you know, of course, a lot of people would think that I was blind. And I used, right. a, I used a Segway, the thing that President Bush, that he fell off of, or that the mall cops used to get around the neighbor, <laughs> neighborhood. So right. I, I used that to get around. And um, it got so bad that I would just put my sunglasses on and pretend that I was blind. Because nobody would mess with the blind Aww. guy. Of course, it got so bad when I got on my Segway and didn't hit anybody as I drove away, right? They thought I was going to hit somebody on the Segway. But <laughs> That's right, yeah. I got made fun of so much, um, you know, with that, that it was, it was very, very challenging for me. And I'll never forget the promise that was made to my mother um, that I want to share a story with that kind of brings us all in full circle. I carry a Burt. Uh, a character from Sesame Street in my pocket yeah. because of the bullying that I sustained. And I'll never forget. When I was about four or five years old, I came home and I asked my mom what was wrong with my legs. And she knew this question was coming and she just didn't exactly know what and, and what to say. And of course, at the time, you know, having cerebral palsy, I could only combat crawl and had to keep things just in line so I could get to them. And I had all my Sesame Street characters on the hearth of the fireplace. And she said, well, why don't you go ahead and go to sleep? And when you wake up, I will tell you what's wrong. And so she took Bert, who was my favorite character, and she cut both of his arms off with a butcher knife. I promise she's not crazy. Mm. It gets better in a minute here. But she took, <laughs> yeah. she took Bert, she put him back on the hearth of the fireplace. And of course, as soon as I woke up, um, there Bert was. And I said, oh my goodness, what happened to Bert's arms? And she said that when I was asleep, that Bert was in an accident, that he lost both of his arms in this accident, and that the world would label him as handicapped. But that doesn't mean he can't be Ernie's best friend, that he can't hang out with the Sesame Street gang, that he can't be like everybody else. At the time, I said, just like my legs. 
She said, like your legs. I didn't ask much about it, but during the time of college that I was just telling you about, I was lost. I was broken. Um, I was beaten. Um, I ended up going off to college and I did well in school and I got rejected from medical school um, mm-hmm. because of my disability. Some, some of the professors said, it's not going to happen. People aren't going to come to you. And so I was, I was very dismayed because all I ever wanted to be was a doctor to bring hope to people, to let people know that you have to turn your stumbling blocks into stepping stones. And I wanted to bring hope to people in that way. And so I remember she, I didn't know she kept Bert after all these years and she pulled him out and she said, I want you to make me a promise said, I want you to be known as the doctor that carries Bert in his pocket. So that when people come to you, you can let them know that you can overcome anything. And so um, the point is, is that I hope that people, I know that's a long-winded answer to the aspect of bullying, but bullying is going to continue uh, all of our lives. And what I want people to know is if you live by everybody else's approval, you will die by their rejection. Mm. And I learned very early on that my approval comes from God and from my family and the ones I love the most. Now, it's important that we work on that, but that's what I found my solace in. You know, that's an amazing story. And I mean, what a brilliant thing for your mother to do. I mean, I I, I think of myself in that situation, and I don't know that I would have had the uh, imagination or creativity to do something like that to Bert, but sure. what a remarkable thing. Um, as you went through high school and college, um, did you have any close friends that helped you? I did. Um, there are definitely uh, a group of kids that I could you know, recite both in middle school and high school and then in college um, that, that helped me walk through this. Um, as we got older, as we all know, that the friends get a lot more um, – they get smaller. Your circle gets smaller, right? In college and those forth. But I did. I had some great people um, that that walked alongside me, that saw me for my worth that I was. Right. I mean, I had a, a friend in middle school that said they, you know, that he uh, one day be my legs so that I could achieve certain things. And I had friends that carried my book bags, and I had people that saw me for me uh, and saw me for you know what I was, and not let you know my body dictate our relationship. But I did have to learn very quickly especially in high school and college that, that I, um, you know, was different and that I was okay with that. Um, and I had to learn, you know, what relationship was and to let people realize that we're all handicapped, that mind the world can see, but we're all struggling with something. We all wish there was something that we could change, that we could yeah. um, change about ourselves. And once we were able to do that, um, that was really neat because it was able for me to be able to say, I know how you feel and mean it and walk alongside these, um, these great people. And I have some great friends and relationships. You know, isn't that the truth? You know, we're the lucky ones who don't have a visible handicap. But I think in a way, we're not the lucky ones because we don't recognize our own handicaps. We don't we don't live lives of humility because we can pretend that we don't have handicaps. And and that's, I think, what make people very, very prideful is when they believe, you know, they're better than because they don't have any kind of handicap. And boy, what a what a terrible way to live life. And I think that, you know, many times one of the big mistakes parents make are, are twofold. Like you said, um, you know, we parent to please other parents in a way. There's a lot of parent peer pressure. Sure. You know, you give your kids a cell phone, so I got to, you know, my kid needs to um, stay up to your kid, so I'm going to give my, you know, kids a cell phone. And, um, you know, it's a horrible way to parent. Um, 
but also I think that living without humility, you really lose out in life because you can't have close friends if you walk around with pride thinking that you're better than everybody else. And you and I know that in medicine, particularly in certain fields of medicine, sure. um, people who cut on people yeah. <laughs> tend to be very, very prideful. Um, and I think that that in itself can be an enormous handicap. So you went through college and you, you lived in a dorm at college or did you live at home? I did. I lived in a dorm and then in an apartment. I lived with uh, four roommates and it was a uh, it was like an apartment style. I did. I lived with a roommate. And you were able to care for yourself, weren't you? Were you, were you able to drive? I was. That that in itself is a, is a story. I, I got in an accident when I was 16 years old uh, and I, I flipped my car and um, I learned how uh, to count whatever God wants me to use to bring glory to him, I will do. And I didn't want to use my broken totaled car that day to, to do that, but that's what happened. And I was, I was able to drive, learn how to drive. And of course, in, in, in college, I was able to drive, but mainly in, in college, because it was such a close area, I used my Segway. Um, and I, I had my friends to help me, but my service dog changed my life. You know, I've, I've fall about four to six times a day. I've had, you know, 17 surgeries mm-hmm. and my service dog was mm-hmm. my living cane. And so when I got him, I got him when I was 18 years old, really dramatically changed my life, the way I was able to ambulate and also the way that I, that I saw myself. I used to think, um, you know, I was, I'm okay with having cerebral palsy. It's given me the, um, it's the reason I sit here in front of you today. It's the reason I'm the doctor that I am filled with compassion, trying to impact people's lives. But, Having the dog really taught me that um, it gave me a uniqueness and, and an outward manifestation of, of, of my uniqueness and how that was going to look um, as I walked through this life, both in a dorm room, in college, and in medicine, because that was always a very big stigmata of what I was going to be in terms of medicine. You know, and it taught you a lesson that many of us don't want to live with, and I think that's dependence. Sure. You know, sort of the MO of the day is you really don't need anybody, particularly for women. You know, I feel this. You don't really need anybody. You don't need a man. You don't need a, a dog. You don't need anybody to help you sort of stay upright, if you will. But dependence is a great thing. I mean, dependence gave you your freedom. Dependence yep. on this dog, it sounds like. Yep. Do you still use a dog? I do. Still to this day. He's a black lab now. My first dog, of course, is on her with me because he aged out. Um, mm-hmm. But I do. I have a black lab. And I think you're absolutely right, Dr. Meg. That, you know, that's why I try to stand with the disposable so that one day we stop throwing people away. And I don't want to get to the yeah. point where or make anybody feel bad. But I look at our lives. And you're absolutely right. We think we've got it all figured out, um, that we don't want to admit that things are struggling. And I think that's what gets parents and, and, and all of us in trouble because we're on this island. You know, everybody says, how are you? I'm okay. But if you really, you're not really asking, how are you really? And then it creates right. when we're, like you said, these parents trying to keep up with the Joneses, give your cell phone and all these things. Then you get caught lost and then you feel like you're on an island alone. Nobody understands you. And I want people to realize that, you know, I'm a big art fan. And for me, I, I liken our lives to a mosaic. And, you know, for those of you who know what a mosaic is, the contemporary mosaics, it's all these random photos together. And when you look at them up close, these photos look totally random. They look like they don't go together, right? So why is that there? Why is that there? And yet when you pull back and you, you take a broader picture of that mosaic, 
the picture's perfect. And I learned for me, cerebral palsy was the critical piece of my mosaic, that if you took it away, it would be incomplete. And I think that Mm -hmm. it's important to realize that every day, we're not supposed to have all the answers. Matter of fact, it talks about day by day, um, that just take one step at a time. Because if I had a flashlight that I could see everything that my life was going to be, I can promise you, I wouldn't have walked down it to try to be a doctor. It would have been too hard. But instead, yeah. I was just supposed to trust a day at a time that God had his best interest and that, and that, pe- that it was going to work out. And, and it did. And so that's what's so important that you're not supposed to have the end of the answer right off the bat, that the journey in itself, that your greatest mess is, turns into your message and that that test mm-hmm. is your testimony and to not give up or to reframe uh, what we thought our lives were going to be because I didn't dream big enough. Cerebral palsy was the biggest mm-hmm. blessing for me. And I think a lot of times, you know, that's what we don't realize that sometimes the, um, the diagnosis is worse than the disease itself. We only mm-hmm. handicap ourselves by choice. And in the world that we live and the people that we serve, sometimes you see that sometimes the, the simplest of diagnosis. Now I don't want to downgrade what anybody's going through. Don't get me wrong. But what I do want to realize is that how you think affects how you act. How you act affects how you think. Absolutely. And as I think about parents listening to that, I think that parents are very afraid of their children having uh, what they perceive as a failure, handicap, disability, whatever, because this is a day when parents are trying to make sure that their kids have a great portfolio of life so that they can succeed. You know, they push them to be excellent in sports and in school and this kind of thing, believing that a Erasing any weakness or erasing anything that they perceive, parents perceive as a failure or something to work against you, is going to harm the child. And that's exactly the opposite of what you're saying. You know, it, it's in your child's perceived failures, perceived weakness, perceived handicap that turns into a great strength and makes that person an incredible human being. And if we can get parents to alter their view of their children and not be afraid of things going to the left or to the right or not according to their plans for their child, that that is where the greatness in your child begins to emerge. You're absolutely right. I say all the time, Dr. Meg, that my disability gives me credibility. And if we could see that, that the imperfections is what is what is what it's all about and how there's more uh, blessings in those, lives would be changed instead of trying, like you said, to erase them. You're absolutely right. Parents, I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Dr. Ty Sexton. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation with Dr. Ty Sexton. Ladies, with more than 70 sizes, including their signature half-cup sizes, 3rd Love designs bras with breast size and shape in mind for a perfect fit and premium feel. Just answer a few simple questions via 3rd Love's Fit Finder quiz to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. Then, thanks to 3rd Love's 100% fit guarantee, you can wear, wash, and put your bra to the test for 60 days. And if you don't love it, you can return it and 3rd Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. This is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll own with straps that won't slip, tagless labels, and lightweight, super thin memory foam cups. Third Love has become my favorite bra because it is so comfortable that I forget I have it on. Honestly, I can wear it to bed. And it doesn't pinch, move, or have straps that dig into your shoulders. I love Third Love bras. 
Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they are offering listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Meg now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash Meg for 15% off today. Parents, KiwiCo creates super cool hands-on projects for kids that make learning about STEAM fun. With the KiwiCo subscription, each month the kid in your life will receive a fun, engaging new project which will help develop their creativity and confidence. The projects are designed to spark creativity, tinkering, and learning in kids of all ages. All projects, inspiration, and activities are created by a team of product designers in-house in Mountain View, California, and rigorously tested by kids. Every crate includes all the supplies needed for that month's project, detailed, easy-to-follow instructions, and an educational magazine to learn even more about that crate's theme. KiwiCo inspires kids to see themselves as makers and is on a mission to empower kids not just to make a project, but to make a difference. I use KiwiCo with my five nieces and nephews, ranging in ages from two and a half to six years old, and I have found that KiwiCo has created many boxes that interest each of them. They love opening the boxes, just like they'd open a Christmas gift, and finding what new surprise is inside. Then one of my nieces and I will play with the new project together. Parents remember, kids love playing with their parents, and using KiwiCo projects is a great way to do that. KiwiCo is offering Parenting Great Kids with Dr. Meg Meeker listeners the chance to try them for free. To redeem this offer and learn more about their projects for kids of all ages, visit KiwiCo.com slash M-E-G. That's KiwiCo.com slash Meg. I wanted to sort of digress a little bit in when we're in the throes of, you know, this whole abortion debate and this um, horrific idea of aborting children in the ninth month and before they're born. I think that many people who don't understand the horrors of abortion, have never seen an abortion and don't know exactly what happens. Well, they do know, but they haven't really witnessed it. Um, believe that it's really okay because um, a, the, you know, the mother doesn't want it, but b, children who are born with any kind of a difference, you know, not only parents but but um, doctors who are wrong. Um, and I've been at this long enough to see that many doctors are wrong sure. in predicting the life of a child is that if, if something is amiss or something that parents don't really want, that the child should just die. You know, like the decision that your parents had and these doctors to sit there and say this child is just going to die is really... You know, I, I can't imagine that a doctor would say that today, though I'm sure there are doctors out there. But I think they say it out of their social and political bias more than any type of medical information. Because, you know, to say that there are limitations on this person is certainly not a, a reason to abort them. And it certainly isn't a reason for a doctor to say, you know, accept them you know, this this child's life is not going to be worth living. And I just want to say to every parent out there, if you have a child, a brand new newborn, who you are told has these um, huge handicaps and is going to have a very difficult or horrible life, don't believe them. Right. I don't know what else to say, but, you know, you and I have seen miracles in yep. medicine where children who are neurologically very damaged, say from a near drowning or something like that, who 
doctors give up on and these kids turn around. I mean, the resilience of a child is extraordinary. And so I always try to err on the side of giving parents tremendous hope and positivity about something that looks like it can be devastating and say, that child's story isn't written. So allow God the freedom to at least write the story. Don't get in the way. That's exactly right. And I could tell you time and time again, and I want to share a story. It it comes down to value and it comes down to, we all think we have a certain value because, you know, we went to school or we've done this and that's great. But when when we lose value in people, that's when we begin to fail. And you're right in medicine. You know, we are, we are guided by science and all these things. And we've seen, uh, like you said, miraculous things, uh, miracles of medicine where I stand here, proof of it and all of our other patients. But I'll tell you, it's about reframing our expectations too, as parents and, and what we think, because yes. it's about looking at what real blessings are. And, and to say that we don't have a quality of life is, is, um, is untrue. And for example, the thing that has resonated through our entire life, and I'll share a personal story that I think it will bring it into real focus, was back when, when I was a, a child with my mother, you know, there's always a person in your life that, that has spoken to your life and, and, and done some things. And that one person was Michelle Larson, my physical therapist. And one of the things she said to my mother at the time, my mom was a real helicopter mom. And she, uh, you know, didn't want me to get hurt, of course, and all these things, great mamas would. But she, Michelle told my mom, you know, Lisa, you need to let Tyler get out there and be with other kids. If I could teach Tyler how to bend over and pick up an Easter egg and put it into a basket, would you let him go to a park and and do the Easter egg hunt with these kids? My mom said, you know, sure, if you can teach Tyler to do that, I'll let him go. Now, of course, as you know, Dr. Meg, these kids with cerebral palsy are learning how to not wipe myself and fall off the toilet. That's a small miracle because of the spasticity and learning how to move my body. And so, you know, my physical therapist, she bribed me with some juicy fruit and she learned, and I learned how to pick up an object put into a basket. And so the time came after three months of, of learning this skill that my mother tied a basket to my walker. And of course, my sister and I, we have to look alike on Easter and look all cute. And we show up to this park and there's thousands of kids lined up in this park in Florida where I'm from and thousands of eggs are in this field. And all of a sudden, the gun goes off and all the kids go running and I was left behind. Oh, and yeah. so my mom immediately, she started to cry. She said, see, this is exactly why I don't let Tyler go out and do anything. This is exactly why I don't let Tyler be with the other kids because we're going to take this crippled boy home and he's going to have no eggs. And so she walked over to apologize for bringing me to the hunt. And she looked down at my basket and my basket was overflowing with Easter eggs. She said, oh my goodness, how in the world is your basket overflowing? I said, the kids are running so fast, their eggs are popping out of the baskets. I'm bending over and picking them up and putting them in mine. (laughs) (laughs) And and at that moment, there was a promise that has transcended my entire life talking about value is that God, not through the clouds, nothing crazy, but just God spoke to her that day and said, if you just let me have him, I'm going to fill his basket with blessings. He may not always be first. He may have to figure things out. He may be delayed. He may go through surgeries. He may get made fun of, but if you just let me have him, I will fill his basket with blessings. And the point of that story is this, like you said, the value of these children, what the parents see, they are fearfully and wonderfully made and they have a value. And if we can learn to fight for the value as we do for these kids, that their lives will be ever changed. If they could see that value, here I sit because of that very value. Mm. I think one of the difficulties too is that parents, particularly mothers, are very controlling. Um, that's what we do. You know, we protect our kids. We make sure life is okay. And it's very difficult to let go and to trust God, A, because we either 
don't believe he's there, or B, we believe he's there, but come on, he's really not going to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, mm-hmm. or C, you know, he just um, isn't isn't going to follow through. And and I think that it really it, it really comes down to uh, faith and trust that God loves your child more than you know moms do that God was in yep. the park with the easter eggs with you even though your mom couldn't see him sure. um and that and that he really was in charge and we live with this illusion of being in control and it really is an illusion and i think that the quicker we realize it's an illusion as parents and sort of surrender our kids to God, as terrifying as it is, um, boy, our kids benefit from it. it. We benefit, but boy, our kids do too. Absolutely. We become bigger than we ever thought, and or these kids do, I should say. And both at the same time, you asked my mother, you know, uh, she wasn't raising uh, the MD. She was raising a boy with CP. And, mm-hmm. and I don't care about titles. Um, it's like a tail and a pig. It has nothing to do with the quality of bacon. But my point is, is that we look at these things and we didn't dream big enough. And like you said, by surrender, that's where, you know, the greatest blessings come is in our moments of surrender and our moments of brokenness. God can put back together those pieces and take a tragedy and turn it into a triumph. Mm-hmm. Um, we only have a couple minutes left. Medical school. Did things start to come together and settle out for you in medical school or was that still mm-hmm. a struggle? It was just as difficult, not so, not academically, although medical school is extremely hard. I, I did the same rigors as everybody else. It was still extremely, um, I wasn't well accepted in medical school. Pockets of my friends were. Um, I ended up going to the Caribbean, had a great experience, um, you know, but until residency, that's when it really started to really tune and I found my place. I was accepted yeah. at the University of South Alabama, Women's and Children's and Mobile is where I went to school, did my three years there, uh, finished there, and then was able, of course, to, to move into clinical practice uh, in Mississippi um, at Singing River. So really incredible stuff. But medical school was, was a challenge because we all have these ideas of, of what perfection is. And I think we're taught uh, in some of the older versions, which are being proven now that emotional intelligence and actually there's more to being a doctor than just getting all the grades. But we're taught mm-hmm. to not uh, laugh and cry with our patients, to, to not show weakness. That I really realized that a lot of my practice, about 60% of my practice right now, is special needs children. Because mm-hmm. I can tell them, I, I look at them and I know how they feel. And so I do general pediatrics. I do, um, you know, specialty stuff as well. But it's, it's, it's these special needs kids. They come out of the woodwork. And so medical school was difficult because of the thoughts imposed uh, on me by others. Um, certain, um, you know, doctors would say, you know, he doesn't belong. You know, I'm sure you're a good guy, but it's not going to work here. In residency, I had interviews um, and they motioned to me and said, what am I supposed to do with this? And a doctor motioned to all of me and I wasn't even allowed to interview. Another one said, Mm. you know, you're going to do great, but it's not going to be here. And I was like, oh my, oh my goodness. And so why did you even introduce me or, or invite me out to interview? And these are true stories. And so looking back now, you know, I praise, um, you know, the good doctors and the people that let me show people what I can do. I'm so thankful for South Alabama, for, uh, the residency and, and now for my career that I, uh, it's a privilege to serve, um, this population in the Gulf Coast the way I do because it was a very, unique and very difficult road. And I hope that my story can show people that if you're different, that there's still a way um, to do it. And I think that that is changing. I really do. I mean, I'm only, it's only been seven, eight years since I got done with all of that, of course. And I think a lot of that is changing um, and I hope it changes for the better, but I'm proof to the fact that um, not always our circumstances will be the end, uh, you know, the end, uh, the end deal. 
Um, not only do you have a thriving practice, and um, I'm sure you're outstanding at what you do, but you also travel and do mission work. Can you tell people what else you do in addition to practicing medicine? Sure. So that is my platform to impact people. And my mother and I wrote a book called God Bless These Little Legs. And we're currently writing another book with uh, Tyndale and Focus on the Family called There's No Such Thing as Can't. It's coming out uh, in 2020 and we're excited about that. I work in the Caribbean uh, doing hyperbaric medicine. I own clinics in the Caribbean and we work with um, you know burns and wounds for adults and children. And I do mission work. I, I run a 501c3 that helps people get service dogs, for example, called Canine Navigators and um, an international um, medical mission work. We go to Grenada every year, Brazil every year. And I just try to, every time I see a need, I try to fill a need. And so it's been a lot of fun now to use my platform as a physician to bring, uh, to bring healing and hope to anybody that I encounter. If you could give two pieces of advice or encouragement to the parent out there who has a young child with um, a disability or is just a different child or, you know, may have Asperger's or something like that. What would you tell that parent today? So there's two things I would say. One, as simple as it is, is people say no and God says yes, but also realize that you're not alone, that I always tell people to come out of their comfort zone and come walk in mine. And mm-hmm. you guys are heroes. And the parent of special needs, you've been chosen for a reason. Sometimes it feels like that there is no hope. Sometimes it feels like you're drowning and you're holding on to your faith or holding on to your sanity just by your fingernails. But I promise you that you're not alone. And to try to reach out uh, and to find your circle, find people, find resources that can walk it out. And also realize, don't let that... Um, disability, that, uh, that situation cripple you or him. Try to find a way to find the joy in the midst of your circumstances because as you do day in and day out, it's going to get easier. Mm. And don't put limitations on your child. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And so to try to look at that child the way God sees that child. Absolutely. You know, if, if that's humanly possible. Tyler, this has been a fabulous time. I know our listeners are going to enjoy it as much as I do. If anybody out there wants to learn more about you, find your books, look at your Facebook, how can they find you? Absolutely. Thank you for that. You can go to tylersexton.com or visit us on Facebook, Tyler Sexton MD, our Facebook page. You know, drop us a line. You can find our book, God Blesses the Legs, on our on our website, tylersexton.com, on Amazon, on iTunes, all those mediums. And, of course, stay tuned on our Facebook page for updates, for speaking engagements, and, of course, when our release of No Such Thing as Can't comes out in mm. 2020. So in addition to all you do, you, you, you go around and give speaking engagements, too. I do. I do. I have the privilege of uh, just getting to speak to, to churches, youth groups, different um, you know, companies and things like that, letting people know that your circumstances uh, can be overcome. And it's been a really a privilege. So let us know. If we'd, we'd love to come meet you, speak to your audience. Uh, we'd love that opportunity. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'll tell you something. I wish that you could have been my kid's pediatrician. It, it would be an honor. Up. Thank you oh, so much. Oh, my. Yeah. Thanks for joining me, Tyler, and God bless. Thank you, Dr. May. God bless you, too. And here are my points to ponder. One, treat your child as though he's capable, not incapable. Ty's parents faced his cerebral palsy and helped him learn to explore many activities, basketball, scuba diving, and many more. While they didn't know if he could be successful at them, they gave him opportunities anyway. As an all-pro dad, Ty's father said, 
I don't know if he'll be able to play basketball, but we're going to put a ball in his hands and see what he can do. Be positive with your kids. Number two, anticipate bullies and help your child navigate painful comments. Most parents fear that their child will be bullied, and that fear became a reality for Ty and his parents. But Ty came through the nasty comments with tremendous support from his parents. We parents often forget that the words we speak to our children hold far more weight than those a classmate or friend speaks. So we must be diligent about teaching our kids who they are and why they're important. If a child is bullied, we must reiterate this to them over and over. Third, ask for God's help. Many parents may feel angry at the world and God when their child is born with a disability. This is completely normal and understandable. But anger can't stop there. It must be faced and processed or else parents will live with bitterness all their lives. Eventually, this bitterness will spill onto their child. After a time of grieving, it's important that every parent have something to hang on to. Ty's parents prayed frequently and clung to God. Ty's mother would tell you this gave her and her husband strength and courage to parent Ty very well. All right, parents, let's get social. I want to hear from you and interact with you. You can connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Meg Meeker MD. Or if you have a question, send it to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Today, I have a question from Carrie, and she writes, My four-and-a-half-year-old boy has had issues with withholding his stool for a year or two. After seeking treatment like behavioral changes from a pediatrician, the withholding was resolved by the holidays, but it returned when his little brother was born in January. The withholding has gone away, but my son still won't poop on the potty. Our pediatrician has told us to allow him to ask for a pull-up when he needs to poop to resolve withholding. We've been trying to eliminate a power struggle by acting like we don't care. We've also been doing two daily potty sits after meals and offering rewards for pooping on the potty, but he isn't interested. How can we get him to poop on the potty? Well, Carrie, your son's problem is very, very common. One of the biggest mistakes that parents and even pediatricians can make is to believe that holding stool is a behavioral issue. Many parents feel that if their child is angry or upset or anxious, that they will withhold stool on purpose. This has not been my experience at all and is shown in research to not be true as well. Ankylpresis, as we call it, or being constipated, withholding stool, is an autonomic phenomenon. In other words, once a child has a painful poop, or two, particularly a little boy, they recognize that pooping is painful and they automatically try not to poop. And as the stool gets backed up in their bowels, the colon stretches out and it gets stuck in their bowels and there's leakage of stool around the impacted stool and sometimes they leak it into their underwear. 
In other words, your son isn't trying to have encopresis. It's a functional problem that's come from being constipated over time, and that came from probably a couple painful stools. My recommendation is to stop doing any kind of behavioral changes and to stop looking at your son as though he's willfully trying to do this. Many children regress and have encopresis after a change in their life, like a baby is being born. It doesn't mean that he's trying to be a baby. He just knows that something has changed in his life. Here are some recommendations that I have for you and that I have done with my patients and had success treating encopresis. First of all, I encourage you to begin giving your son Miralax. I would give him a half a cup of Miralax in water before he goes to bed at night. It's clear. It doesn't get absorbed into the bloodstream. It works in the bowel just to soften stool and help it come out more easily. He needs to have very soft stools so he's not afraid of pooping. And that's the most important thing that he needs to get over is to get over that fear. The second thing I encourage you to do is keep a diaper on him at night and put a pull-up on him during the day for the next month or so so that he doesn't fear pooping in his pants or fear being reprimanded if he poops in his pants. Keep a pull-up on him, put him on the potty after he has breakfast every single morning. Give him the Miralax night after night after night, and you will find that pretty soon after he eats in the morning and he relaxes on the potty, go out of the room, let him be alone when he's pooping because kids like privacy when they poop. Let him sit there. If he goes, great. If he doesn't go, that's okay. Go back and put him on the potty three, four hours later and keep doing that through the day. If he feels more comfortable pooping in his pull-up, let him go with that for a while. You may find that he hides under the table. He goes into his bedroom to poop because he wants privacy and he's a little bit embarrassed. Eventually, you will notice that he will begin to poop at certain times during the day. So when you notice that, those are the times you're going to put regular underwear on him. You're going to sit him on the potty regularly and he will become much more comfortable with pooping. Most importantly, don't force him. Second, don't treat this as a behavioral issue. Assume that he's not angry. This is a functional physiologic issue. He's had a painful stool at one point, and your job is to get him more comfortable with pooping, and that means softening his stools so that they come out very easily. Don't worry if you need to keep him in a pull-up for the next few months. It's totally normal for somebody his age. And over time, you will notice there's going to be a rhythm to his pooping. You can move him into regular underwear, and the problem will be resolved. Don't be anxious, and don't let him be anxious. And mostly, don't blame him for not being able to poop on the potty. It really is a fear issue, and you can help him overcome it. Parents, I love answering your questions, so keep sending them in to me. You can email me your parenting questions to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. And remember, if you are having any problems with your child, whether he's 2, 12, or 18 at home, he's acting out, or you're having difficulty with discipline, check out my new course. It's fabulous. 
discipline with courage and kindness. I want to thank my guest, Dr. Ty Sexton, and encourage you to check out his book, God Bless These Little Legs, and connect with him on Facebook. Let's recap my points to ponder. One, treat your child as capable, not incapable. Two, anticipate bullies and help your child navigate painful comments. Three, ask for God's help. So until next time, parents, always remember, great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening to episode 80, Helping Kids Overcome Disabilities. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents, subscribe so you won't miss anything, and leave us a review so we know how we're doing.